Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Stepping out is never easy. The predictable, the comfortable, the familiar, all gravity. Clenching, holding, restraining. But we are a different breed. We do not accept the status quo. Come hell or high water, we will run boldly into the unknown. In search of purpose, promise, greatness, we are Pioneers. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, we've been working our way towards this for almost two months. And let's read it. We've read it before, but let's read it, and then we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, all right? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Some pretty powerful promises. God promises to bless Abram in a powerful way. And many of us, if we're not careful, when we think about God's blessings, we think about them as things to receive. Whereas I believe that God is not just giving you something to receive, He's also giving you a responsibility to steward. Every blessing God gives is a responsibility to steward. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, When someone has been given much, or when someone has been blessed with much, incidentally, that's you. You've been blessed with much. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. In this message, we're going to talk about God's blessings, but even more than that, we're going to talk about what you do with them. And the title of the message is Blessed Responsibility. Blessed Responsibility. Now, every time God gives you a blessing, it's a test. And This test doesn't have 100 questions. That's good news for those of us who are glad we're not in school anymore, right? There's not 50 questions on this test. There aren't even five questions on this test. When God blesses you, every time, it's a test. And here's the one question on the test. What will you do with it? What will you do with God's blessing. 
in a world filled with sin, the temptation is always going to be to spend more than you sow. When God blesses you, He expects that you will enjoy it, but He also requires that you steward it. So let's take a look at the three big blessings God promises to Abram. Here's the first one. Point number one, land. God promises land. Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied, he's being very specific about this land. The land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephates, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. I just got extra credit on the pronunciation test right there, just so you know. God says, this is the land I am giving to you and your descendants. And God goes on to repeat this promise to his son Isaac and to Abram's grandson Jacob. And on and on and on. God promises the land. He says, I will make you a great nation. Some of you, the, the intellectual read-between-the-lines people, are going, wait, I didn't see in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3 a promise for land. God says, I am going to make you a great nation. It's, it's kind of a simple question, but think about it. Show me a nation that doesn't have its own land. There's no such thing. And now this is really important for you to understand because you might not even think that the, the battle over land in the nation of Israel is that big of a deal to you. It's a huge deal to you. And it's not pro-Israel, anti-Palestine. It's pro-God's promise. And here's why. If God breaks just one promise, he cannot be trusted in regards to any of his other promises. But a perfect God always keeps every personal promise he makes. God promised the land to the nation of Israel. He promised it. Okay, what does this have to do with you? Listen, God's really, really serious and specific about where he places you. Look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Going all the way back to Adam, you'll see how important God's placement is. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made, Adam. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. Okay, God created the Garden of Eden and placed man in it. Now, here's what's really important. Many of us, if we're not careful, can think when God places us in an incredible workplace or God places us in a family or God places us in a marriage or God places us in a relationship and a friendship, when God places us somewhere, if we just stay surface level, we think, how can I enjoy this place? But God goes even further, seven verses later, in verse 15 of Genesis 2. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, and watch this next part, to tend and watch over it. Okay, here's another way to say that. When God puts you in a place, he does not just say enjoy it, 
he also says, improve it. Every place God puts you in, there is an expectation that you will take what he has blessed you with and improve that place. Your workplace is not just a place to work. It's a place for you to improve. Not just personally, but you're called to improve that place personally. Because God's not just saying, enjoy the place I put you in. I want you to improve it. God puts you in a marriage. He's not just saying, enjoy this marriage. He's saying, improve it. God puts you in a church. When he places you in a church, he doesn't just say, enjoy it. He says, improve it. Now, here's a big question you need to, I, I want you to think about. When God blesses you with something, how often do you ask him what to do with it? When God blesses you with something, how consistently do you respond by saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? When you don't ask God what to do with it, it means you probably spend more than you sow. Now let me help you understand why this is a, a bit of a, a problem. Uh, we started gardening, Holly and I started gardening a little over a year ago in our backyard. And those of you who know me, you know I only have one speed. So I go from never gardening to uh, eight raised beds. And now I'm trying to make my whole 1.3 acre little piece of land into a Texan farm, okay? Uh, if you ever come by my house, my goal is eventually I'll, I'll be on a tractor riding around my neighborhood, okay? Like I, I'm trying to, I just, I'm all or nothing, okay? And part of it is I've learned so many incredible lessons doing this thing called gardening. There's there so many godly principles that you learn. I'll give you a for instance. I never thought about where lettuce comes from. Like think about this for a second. Raspberries, you can see the seeds, right? Strawberries, see the seeds. Cut open my favorite peppers, see the seeds. Where does lettuce come from? Th this is like the, the did Adam have a belly button question to me. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Every once in a while I find myself pondering these kind of questions. God, did Adam have a belly button? And while, you're at, while we're talking about this stuff, where does lettuce come from? I didn't know until I saw that at the end of a season, lettuce does what's called bolting. And it grows a stalk out of the head of lettuce that produces hundreds of and sometimes even thousands of seeds. And that's where lettuce comes from. But I didn't know. Because all I do is just pick it and eat it. But here's one of the principles we have to remember. God puts seed in every blessing he gives us. And if we eat it too quickly, we lose the seed. Every blessing God gives you. He wants you to enjoy but he also wants you to withhold some of the seeds so you can sow even more. There's nothing wrong with reaping. If you reap much, just make sure you're sowing even more. This church is a garden. God put you in a really special garden. And part of his expectation is that you make it better. I see emails every once in a while, you know, 
hey, don't like this about this church. Don't like that you do this. I hate this. I wish one day I was just allowed to answer their, their frustration with this question. And what is it you do here? Like, what do you do here? Is your full-time job getting upset with me? Like, is that why God brought you here to keep me on the straight and narrow? Hashtag Pharisee. I told y'all I'm tired. But I'm not regretting what I'm saying right now because it's the truth. Why did Jesus go after the Pharisees? Because they're the ones that scared off all of the pure-hearted followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not letting that happen. You get mad at me all you want. Now, the people who are invested here, when they say, hey, can I, can I? And, and listen, when a person is heavily invested, they never yell at you. They submit the problem to you. And that's when I go, oh man, we got to do something about that. But when someone yells at me and does nothing here, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't even listen to you. Because you're not blessing this church. You're just barking at it. Listen, God's called. This is why I tell you all every week in the lobby, don't choose to come to church here. Don't. I'm not trying to grow a crowd. I'm trying to grow the kingdom. And I can't grow the kingdom with a church that just behaves like a crowd. I want you to go, even if it's somewhere else, go where God calls you to go to church. And if he doesn't call you to come here, please, I'm begging you, don't come here. And here's why. Because if he's calling you somewhere else, wherever he's calling you, there's a special anointing to receive from him there, but also to serve him there. And I want you, for the good of God's family, to be where he calls you to go. But listen, if God's called you to be here, he's called you to improve this garden. He's blessed you in so many ways. I'm not telling you you have to, you know, work here every weekend of your life. I'm just telling you, help improve it. Help make God's house a better place. It's what we're called to. There's nothing wrong with reaping. God wants us to reap a lot, but never forget, he wants us to sow even more. Point number two. The second thing God promises is he promises a legacy to Abram. Genesis 15, verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I will protect you, and your reward will be great. This blessing I have for you, Holmes, is going to be better than anybody else I bless. Your reward's going to be great. Now watch Abram's immediate response. One of the best responses in the Bible. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? God, I love all these blessings, but what good are all of these blessings if I don't have someone to pass them on to? What a, what a beautifully selfless response. Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. 
so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, no, no. I am going to give you a son. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. God says, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside, and I love this part, and said to him, buddy, look up into the sky and look at all of the stars. Count all of the stars. And this is God's divine Henri side you see next, if you can. He says, Abram, look at all these stars. Count them all if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. This is how God talks to someone whom he has blessed that says, what good are all these blessings if I can't pass them on to others? God goes, ha ha, you're going to talk like that? You get it. Not only am I going to give you descendants, I'm going to bless you more than anybody else because that's how I bless stewards. When my children have a burden to pass it on, I give them even more. Now, flip over to Psalm 78. And I want you to see this passage. We're going to read eight straight verses. And we're going to talk for a moment about you and about your responsibility, about me and my responsibility, not as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, as a son of God, as a daughter of God. We have a responsibility as it relates to the next generation. And I want you to see it. Psalm 78, verse 1. Oh, my people... Listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation. I love this. That the Bible clearly says, you're going to pass these things on to your children. But just in case you're confused that I'm talking about biological children, I'm not just talking about your biological children. I'm talking about spiritual children as well. He says you're going to pass these on to your children, to the next generation. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Parents, you understand this principle. You get this more than you think you do. Now think about this. I, I don't know if you ever eat at Chipotle. Chipotle is like a staple in our family. Uh, we eat there at least three or four nights a week uh, because it's like the only restaurant you can go eat five, five of us for 25 bucks. I don't even know. How, it's like the fish and the loaves at Chipotle, okay? <laughs> 25 bucks, and it's like 5,000 people get fed with $25. And, and then, you know, digestively, it just cleans you right out. So it's good for that too. <laughs> Sorry. I told you, don't trust, don't trust those comments right now. But we go to Chipotle, and think about this. You take your kids to Chipotle, and how does it work? You walk up to the window, you put in your order, right? And then what happens next? 
One of your children steps up into the line. Your child says, I- I'd like an over- overly stuffed burrito dripping in sour cream and sauce. Okay, that's how it works, right? After you order, you don't do the following, right? Uh, no, no, honey, you don't get to eat. The adults are eating. The children are not. We're going to eat. You're not. That's not how it works, right? You can eat and feed everybody at the same time, correct? That's what Psalm 78 is saying, that we're not just called to eat everything God gives us. We're called to make sure everybody else is being fed by it too. We can eat and feed at the same time. But one of my concerns in the church world is it's becoming more and more consumeristic. Everybody's becoming a consumer. It's take, take, take. Consume, consume. Oh, that was a great word. It's great worship. Are we making sure that the next generation is catching what God is doing? Are we sowing into them? One of my biggest prayers for this church is that we would be a five-generation church. That doesn't just mean my generation, my father's generation, my grandfather's generation. That's great, and those are generations I pray for, but it also means my children's generation and their children's generation. It's five generations right there. Part of our calling as believers in Jesus is to invest in the next generation. Now, I'm going to make a statement that uh, I feel very strongly about. That if a part of our calling, calling as followers of Jesus Christ, is to invest in the next generation, I think scripturally I can easily say what I'm about to say. Every child of God has a choice to make. When God blesses you, will it die with you? When God blesses you, will it die with you? And how do you know it's probably going to die with you if you keep it in your hands and don't pass it on to the next generation? See, I think we look at the church and we go, you know, I'm just not called to diaper changing in the church. That's not my ministry. Every other mom that's covered in bathroom when they change their diapers, is thinking the exact same thing. But it's part of what we do. We raise up our children. When they can't take care of themselves, we take care of them. We sow into them. Here's here's the statement I want to make. I believe every adult in God's family should monthly, at the very least, be investing in the next generation in the house of the Lord. I believe it with all of my heart. And part of my job is to make your job as a believer in Jesus easy. So they're going to put up a a number right here. And if you text these letters, N-X-T-G-E-N, to the number 24587, you can take a picture of that screen. You can text it right now. You're going to get a text, a response that's going to make it easy for you. Think about this for a second. When do you ever convene 30, 20, 40, 50 younger world changers to sit at your feet 
and receive everything God has given you to give. When do you ever command an audience like that? Let's just be real. Never. You never do. That's why we make it easy for you. We convene them. We hold them captive. We convene them every weekend in every service ready for you to come and pour into them, so into them to build up the spiritual legacy that's been entrusted to each one of us. I think it's great that you pour into your kids and you raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But God didn't call you just to sow into your biological children. He called you to sow into spiritual children as well. And I know the, the, the children's department and the youth department, they're flipping out right now because they're doing the math in their head. Okay? Every adult who serves in either one of those departments, we, we take them through a background check, and that background check costs 20 bucks, and they're going, hold on, Preston, wait a minute. 1,500 adults, 20 bucks a pop, that would be $30,000. We don't have that kind of money to send those people through background checks to be able to serve our kids. Listen, if I have to take out a payment plan and pay it myself, that would be an amazing problem to have. If every adult in our church started sowing into the next generation, because listen to me, it's not someone else's job. It's yours. It's yours. You've got to own it. God has given you some amazing things, but he didn't give them to you to just enjoy. He gave them to you to steward and sow. And if we don't pay attention to preparing this next generation, Each generation is just going to get further and further from God. And that's not on them, that's on us. I'm not asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to do it. In some way, shape, or form. So into the next generation in the house of God consistently. Give away what you've been given. Here's the third thing God says. Abram, I'm I'm promising you a life of blessing. A life of blessing. Now, when we hear this phrase, a life of blessing, many of us can be tempted to think about a life full of blessing. But that's not actually what God is promising to Abram. God says to Abram, through you, I'm going to bless the whole earth. I'm going to give you a life of blessing. Pastor Robert wrote a book, uh, my mentor, called The Blessed Life. Millions of copies have been sold. And, and it would be easy to assume that the blessed life is the one with the most blessings. The blessed life is not the one with the most blessings. The blessed life is the one that blesses the most. That's the blessed life. That's why God gives you these blessings. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, and God will generously provide all you need. So for those of you who are thinking, I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have resources. The Bible says God will generously provide all you need. Not everything you want, all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Here's what God is saying through Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's saying, this is how you'll know you've gotten a revelation of generosity. 
when every time God gives something to you, you quickly turn around and become generous with it. When God gives it to you, you turn around and try and give it to somebody else. It's like a divine competition between us and God. God gives you something, you turn around and go, God, I'm going to bless 10 people with this. 10 people are going to be blessed because of what you just gave me. 100 people are going to be blessed with what you just gave me. God, I'm going to bless even more people than you bless with this. And you know he's just peering over the balcony of heaven going, you want to bet? You want, you want to get into this contest? Because God is looking for good stewards, not good spenders. He's looking for people who receive the responsibility and pass on the blessing. Think about it like this. Imagine there was a father, a very wealthy dad, and he had three children. And he decided one day, his kids were 8, 10, and 12, he decided one day he was going to give a $100,000 check to one of his three children and nothing to the others. Now you and I both know that $100,000 to a 12-year-old might as well be $100 billion dollars. Because they start thinking, oh my word, how many Fortnite skins can I buy with this? Like, I, I think I could actually buy the entire game of Fortnite. I could buy them out, $100,000. That's a ton of money to a 12-year-old. And what would a good 12-year-old, a good sibling, do with that $100,000? Which to them seems like more money than they, they could ever spend in their lifetime. What does a good child, a good sibling do? They share the wealth, right? Now, a bad sibling would move out, hole up, and spend all of the money on themselves. But a good son, a good daughter, takes the extravagant blessing, goes to the other two children who don't have as much, and says, hey, let's share. I can't spend all this. Take some of it. Let's share it. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but you are the 12-year-old. You are that child. God has given you amazing blessings. I mean, he, he has given you small blessings, huge blessings, and every size in between for years and years and years. And the only time you, you think he hasn't given you enough blessing is when you compare to somebody else's blessing. But if you would stop comparing, you would be reminded he has showered you with many blessings. You are that blessed 12-year-old child. But here's the question. I believe your father is asking you right after he blesses you. Will you share it with the rest of my family? Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.